0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of the GloBros Saints Show. I'm Troy Glorioso. And I'm Jimmy Glorioso. And we are the, the GloBros. Globe Bros. So why are we
1: doing this podcast? Well, we want to provide honest, detailed analysis and thoughtful insight into the Saints season for Saints fans by diehard Saints fans. We want to give you insights that the average viewer may not see during a game and break things down to a level... Uh, that's easy to understand for, for you and all the Hudat Nation.
0: That's exactly right. This is for fans by fans. Uh, we have different perspectives we can provide. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but this is mainly a place for diehard Hudats to come together, talk about the team, talk about the connection with the city, uh, and celebrate the successes, mourn the losses and the struggles, uh, but do it together in a way that we're going to always keep moving and keep fighting on for our Hudats and for our boys.
1: That's right, Troy. So, for me, background goes back when I started playing football as a five-year-old at Vista Playground in Met, Louisiana. Yeah, that's right, down in the parish. I fell in love with the game and really have never stopped. Played quarterback in high school at Holy Cross in the Catholic League and for the Division III juggernaut Rhodes College Lynx. But these days, I bleed black and gold, never missing a game, which always happens to set the tone, good or bad, for the entire next week. Uh, We thought, why not share this passion with others? We talk about it every week anyway, and we can't wait to talk to each other during the game, after the game, before the next game. So why not put our thoughts together and let others hear what we think and what we have to say
0: about this awesome topic? That's right. And a little bit of history for me, just very briefly, played throughout high school, uh, coached shortly thereafter. Once I wasn't playing uh, in college, Hurricane Katrina happened my senior year. Uh, I hate to play the what if game. But uh, instead of just sitting there in doubt, I said, if I can't be playing the game, I need to be around it. So got into coaching, coached at Christian Life Academy in Baton Rouge, coached at the middle school level as well. Uh, But more importantly than all that, just a a fan, just a diehard fan. As Jimmy said, Uh, my Monday mornings are dictated by the Sunday result of the Saints. And uh, I take it to heart. Uh, I live through the team. And uh, it's something that I look forward to every week just as much as I'll look forward to sharing our thoughts, sharing our opinions with everybody else, and eventually getting some feedback from you guys, letting us know what you enjoyed and and what points of emphasis you want us to reach next. But uh, Mm. next up, we gave you a little bit of history of ourselves. We want to share with you our top Saints memories. Uh, Now, important to note, we are gonna put aside the Super Bowl championship. Uh, Obviously, that is a tremendous accomplishment, probably at the top of most fans' memories of the Saints the joy and and just the euphoria of finally reaching the summit and taking it home uh, against the Colts in Super Bowl 44. So aside from that, I'll go ahead and give you my first memory, my number one Saints memory, and then we'll shoot it to Jimmy and we'll go back and forth. But for me, it's very easy. Uh, As I mentioned, Hurricane Katrina impacted St. Bernard Parish where we're from and I lost my senior year of high school and that's playing football, playing baseball, Senior class president just completely wrecked it. The school did not reopen. So long story short, the dome coming against Atlanta Falcons, September 26, 2006. The first game back in the dome after Hurricane Katrina uh, over a year after the devastating storm. Uh, why it was so special to me, obviously we won the game. On the fourth play of the game, Steve Gleason broke through the line, blocked the punt. Curtis Deloach picked it up in the end zone. Touchdown Saints, fourth play of the game. Jim Mora Jr., the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, later commented at that moment he knew it really didn't matter what they were going to do schematically or on offense or defense. It simply wasn't their night. Uh, I mean, it, it was a spectacle more than just a football game. You had the Goo Goo Dolls playing a concert beforehand. Uh, you had U2 and Green Day playing before the game even began in the Dome. But why it's so important to me, obviously it was a win. Uh, and it was kind of that catalyst for the 2006 nucleus of that team: Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Mickey Loomis, Reggie Bush, uh, Colston. Kind of, kind of began that uh, that decade-plus run of just expected success, which was such a foreign thought. And Jimmy, I'm sure you can get into that more than me with Saints history here pre-Brees. But uh, in that moment, in that game, that three and a half, four hours. You were able to put aside all the devastation you're still dealing with a year later and all the headaches and all the insurance and everything that's going on for three and a half to four hours. You could block that out, get in that dome with everybody who feels the exact same way as you, everybody who's feeling the exact same way as you. And you get to watch the game that you love to watch with the people you love watching it and the team that you love seeing. And uh, I will never, ever forget that moment. Uh, complete strangers around you feeling as if they were your closest family tears of joy tears of sorrow uh, every every emotional range that you could reach on the spectrum uh, you experienced that in that game and that's a feeling I will never ever forget and I doubt that it will ever be duplicated Uh, but a particular note that I wanted to share with you right after Gleason blocked that punt we were seated just below the press box and as soon as he blocked that punt I turned around And Bobby Hebert, the Cajun cannon, was right there behind us, and he was just going ballistic, going ballistic. And I'd be lying if I told you he was not shooting the bird at every Atlanta Falcons fan in the building uh, in celebration. But needless to say with that, Dome coming number one for me, easy. uh, Nothing else really comes close just for the emotional capacity of that game and what it allowed us to do to to get away, uh, even if briefly, from everything else that we were dealing with with Hurricane Katrina.
1: Yeah, I have to comment on that. Um, Troy, you were at the game. I watched it on TV, and there were multiple times that the broadcast crew of Monday Night Football um, just discussed how loud it was. They had never heard a stadium so loud before, and to this day, they still talk about that. So very phenomenal. Even watching it on TV um, had a tremendous impact on the region, the Gulf Coast, and just let the rest of the nation know that the city wasn't going anywhere, and we were back. So that was that was awesome. Great uh, recap there. Uh, for me, uh, being about 13 years older than Troy, uh, my Saints memories go a little bit further back. Um, for me, I think that the first big memory uh, was the wild card game against the then St. Louis Rams, the defending Super Bowl champions, coming into the, to- the Dome on wild card weekend, December thirtieth, 2000, um, it was a, a, a playoff game, which obviously we, we had had several before it, but lost every time under Jim Moore. Had some really tough games in those playoff games. Um, but we came out, and we were just hitting on all cylinders, and we were scoring touchdowns left and right uh, under Aaron Brooks. And lo and behold, like often Saints fans had to endure, um, Kurt Warner in The Greatest Show on Turf started making its comeback. And late in the game, Marshall Falk, you know, started having some big plays. They started coming on strong, and we were in trouble. And um, Oz Hakeem goes back to get a punt. I think there was roughly two and a half minutes or so. They were less than a score away from taking the lead. And the punt's in the air, and Oz Hakim drops the ball. Uh, Brian Milne falls on it, and the rest is history. The first New Orleans Saints playoff victory. Goes down in the books. And to be there at that time, you would have thought we did win the Super Bowl because that was the biggest victory in the history of the franchise. So huge, huge day there. Um, lots of good memories. Um, but other than the Super Bowl, like Troy said, we weren't going to touch on that because everybody, you know, that's their biggest moment. But we have to go back to the 2009 NFC Championship game against the Brett Favre led Minnesota Vikings. Troy, you want to set the stage on
0: that one definitely yeah so this game uh, we were there jimmy and i were there um and uh i know jimmy mentioned that the monday night crew said that the dome coming was the loudest stadium they've ever heard for me january 24th 2010 was the loudest that i've ever heard a stadium in my life i've been in the dome many times uh, but that game, if you remember, was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. As Jimmy mentioned earlier, there's no way that the Saints can come in and just obliterate somebody. you, you got to get a heart attack while watching the game. Right? That's just part of Saints football with the stress going back and forth. But uh, every time you're trying to get uh, a false start or, you, or you're trying to draw somebody off sides or whatever the case may be, but Jimmy and I both had painstakingly uh intense migraines at the end of that game. Now, it was all joyous. I mean, everything w- worked out the way it did. Peterson had several fumbles and obviously we know the Tracy Porter interception at the end of the game with Favre to to help at least seal our opportunity to take that game in overtime. There were a couple uh instant replay reviews, uh but then Garrett Hartley lined up. Sean Payton had some uh, unique motivational uh phrases that he used with uh with Garrett Hartley, something along the lines of, son, you belong here. Go ahead and hit the beep Florida Lee uh, in the back of the goalpost on the netting. Anyway, he did that and obviously celebration ensued, it erupted. Uh, we won the NFC Championship game for the first time ever in 2006. We went to Chicago and lost, so we were so close. We're back on top and, and I'll never forget this, Jimmy. Uh, Sean Payton, when he was addressing the crowd, Basically said, you know, this one's for you, New Orleans. This stadium used to, used to be wet, used to be you know filled with water. Uh, it's not wet anymore. This one's for you, New Orleans. And again, the crowd erupted. Uh, after the game, we, we couldn't eat while we watched the game. So uh, that's not even a question because that's going to take you away from what's on the field. And that is simply a non-negotiable uh, in our book. So we drive back down to St. Bernard. Uh, it's late. I don't know exactly what time this is. It might be 1130, 12 o'clock at this point. IHOP is the only option that's open. And I remember the headache being so bad, so intense that I, I couldn't speak words. I just had to point at the menu to let the waitress know what, what I wanted. Uh, but n- never have has another stadium matched that intensity. Obviously it gets loud in the dome. Uh, Jimmy and I started two years ago a tradition where we visit a, an away game each year. We went to Lambeau Field two years ago. We went to uh, US Bank Stadium last year with Minnesota, uh, but nothing nothing is going to match the, the crowd intensity and the sustainability. I think that's the big difference here, Jimmy. Uh, fourth and short, you know, third and one, it can get loud, but this was loud throughout the game. There were no pauses. There were no lapses. It was just sustained volume at an intense level uh, that I was glad to be a, a participant in But after that game, we're certainly feeling the effects of that as we were trying to eat a late, late dinner at IHOP in St. Bernard Parish.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and what was really cool about that was at the IHOP, I think it was just about full, and every single person there had a Saints jersey on. Um, The other note, I guess, was that after the game, you couldn't pay people to leave. You just stayed. You hugged people. You hugged strangers. You talked to folks. You cried. You bought the uh, field gear that the Saints were given or handed uh, in the locker room, the hats, the T-shirts. Uh, I remember buying several for every male member in my family. Um, <laughs> it, it was just phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. But I know my, my juices are flowing. I'm already ready to, to suit up and, and, and get ready for the game on uh, next Monday. But now we want to kind of shift directions a little bit and talk about some of the offseason moves, some things coming up, some things to look for. And finally, well, hey, with uh, Houston Preview. But if you have other things to say, go ahead and throw them in there.
0: Yeah, yeah. Just one other thing, James. Did you have a second uh, memory outside of that NFC Championship game? I had one other one that I wanted to just kind of touch on briefly if you didn't have anything else.
1: I have uh, plenty of good memories, but uh, none that just a very minor memory. I don't know what all it always comes back to me, but it was a Saints game uh, several years ago against the. Los Angeles Raiders at the time I was a huge Ironhead Hayward fan he was the thickest uh tailback I think in the league for quite some time and he broke through the line and it was the first kind of era of the jumbotrons if you will and I remember him looking up and just hoping and praying that one of the DBs wouldn't catch him and he took it all the way to the house and I think he was on oxygen the rest of the game because I don't think we saw him again but that was a pretty awesome uh run and a cool memory Uh, i'm sure there were many better ones out there but that was the first one that came to mind
0: well yeah no that's uh happens to the best of us you know i'd go and get my mail and i come back and i'm on oxygen sometimes so i I get it i get it uh for me the next most memorable saints moment and this one may surprise a few people it actually is not a game Uh, it was not a contest but it was in 06 when we drafted Reggie Bush. Now, looking back on his career as a New Orleans Saint, obviously there's a lot of division there on, on people who uh, maybe the expectations coming out of college didn't match the reality and the pros. But in 2006, uh, I firmly believe more than the breeze signing, Because if you remember at that time, breeze was a huge question mark coming out of San Diego with the shoulder injury. There was some interest in Miami with Nick Saban. Didn't pass the physical. The team doctors there were not comfortable signing off uh, on Breeze being a part of that team. So we did have the Breeze signing, and we were desperate for a quarterback at that time. But it was a complete unknown how his rehab was going to go, how long it was going to take, and how effective he would be. Now, keep in mind also, New Orleans never thought they would have a chance to even draft Reggie Bush at number two. Texans had the number one overall pick. Uh, It was a pretty wide presumption that Houston was going to draft Reggie. And I'll never forget the night before the draft, word leaked that they had already reached a deal with Mario Williams. And now the possibility of the Saints drafting Reggie Bush was viable. And as Breeze was the unknown, Bush was the exact opposite. We watched him in college just make fools of, you know, supreme collegiate athletes uh, and just dominating at USC with Matt Leonard and Lendale White. Uh, But we knew what kind of player he could be. And when that became a viable option for us, I remember the city. I remember the people, the fans just going ballistic that we are actually going to have a chance and a very good chance to draft Reggie Bush and have Reggie be a part of our resurgence. Uh, And uh, that that rookie year, his 2006 year, he brought it. Everybody throws out that word electric nowadays. I, I really feel sometimes we use that a little too much to describe players. But 2006, Reggie Bush in the Saints uniform was electric. Every punt return that he lined up for, the stadium stood up when he caught it, because you never knew what was gonna happen. Same thing on a toss, same thing on a handoff, on a short pass route, uh, whatever the case may be. So for me, at that moment, being able to draft Reggie Bush was a huge memory for me. Uh, because of the feeling and the emotion that it attached to it with the excitement of what was to come with Brees coming in uh, and drafting Bush and also Colston. And we can get into a whole nother discussion on the 06 draft class. One of the absolute best and deepest draft classes, in my opinion, uh, across the board. Uh, But that'll be a a conversation for another day. You wanted to look into the offseason, right, Jim?
1: Absolutely. And uh, one note about Reggie, uh, not necessarily a a game. A full game memory, but that one run he had against Arizona in the first round of the playoffs to this day was absolutely phenomenal. Just juke the guy out of his jock strap. I think it's still laying on the turf. Uh, unbelievable. I think
0: 36 yard line, I believe.
1: It could be. I, we've, we've, we may have watched it a handful of times. Uh, but yeah, I wanted to get into the offseason moves. Um, I think some are obvious, but I think some are a little more subtle as uh, one of our favorite actors would say. Uh, Jared Cook tight in, uh, huge off-season uh, move there. Uh, we had Ben Watson in his earlier years. He was really good. Uh, last year, I think he was kind of getting up there, a little long in the tooth. And prior to that, uh, just, just didn't really, do very well or get very much production out of that position. And I think Jared Well, you, you really... go back to Jimmy
0: Graham, and I think that was your, you know, that was your, your kind of golden years there at the tight end position and seeing how it could properly be utilized within Peyton's offensive attack and how Breeze can utilize that. But when Graham left, uh, which obviously we got Max Unger for that an anchor on the offensive line, uh, that's another area people are probably divided in. They might not want to admit that that was a good trade at the time for the stability on the line. Uh, but since Graham, we've been searching for that next answer, uh, and we've had a, you know, certainly a litany of guys coming in trying to fulfill that role uh, with minimal success. So uh, I'm I'm very excited at the potential there for Jared Cook to come in, stretch the field a little bit, take some of the attention for those safeties, and potentially open up some intermediate and deep routes on the outside for uh, Michael Thomas, uh, Ted Ginn, and some other receivers that we have. So uh, and it sure seems like Peyton has been very. Um, I don't want to say secretive, but he, he pretty much plays everything close to the vest. But, you know, Cook sat out a couple practices, didn't really get a lot of playing time in preseason. Uh, I'm hoping that's more in the idea of concealment so that we can really uh, fully utilize him come week one with some looks that nobody's seen yet.
1: Yep. No, that's a great point. And I, I think he also can occupy some linebackers, uh, short intermediate routes, like you said, get the linebackers flowing towards him and opens up the choice route for Alvin Kamara. He can uh, get in there, get the ball, move around a little bit right now. You pretty much focus on Kamara and Thomas, and you don't let them beat you. And you take your chances with the other guys. But I think Cook may change that this year. Very excited to see that. Uh, very close 1A was Eric McCoy, um, our draft pick. He uh, you know, was a beast at A&M. Um, but he's the quarterback of the offensive line. Unger, really, really strong. Sort of surprised us with his retirement. I would have liked him to let us know a little sooner, but he just each person has to do what's best for, for their family, so we understand. But uh, we're hoping Eric McCoy can step right in and, uh, you know, anchor that line. Very solid at the tackle position. We have two strong guards, should have a solid offensive line, but McCoy is really going to be a huge part and a huge offseason addition to hopefully fill that gap and fill those shoes. But my number two offseason pickup, I think, might surprise a few folks, and that's new special teams coach Darren Rizzi. Uh, under the Dolphins, he spent the last eight years, and believe it or not, he was first. His units were first in the NFL with 11 block punts over that span of time and 22 total block kicks, which was which came in second over those past eight seasons. Um, You don't think of the Dolphins as as a great team over the last few years, but uh, just last year, Pro Football Weekly graded them the fourth overall best special teams unit. And we know our kicker and punter are solid. Um, So if we can start getting better returns and better against the punt return and kickoff return, uh, we need to get some of that hidden yardage that you don't see uh, in the offensive uh, record books after games. But I think that's a huge pickup and hopefully he'll add some excitement. And with uh, Dante Harris back there, he did some special things. Uh, in the preseason, hope, hopefully he can carry
0: that on. Um, and that, that's a good that's a good look up, uh, Jimmy. You know, I was going to mention Deontay Harris back there showed us some exciting moves in the preseason. Hopefully we can carry that over into the regular season. Uh, but those hidden yards, uh, I just wanted to chime in for a second there. A lot of times, those are the most influential yards, and they don't get scored per se on your typical stat sheet. Uh, certainly as you're looking at offense. The other thing I wanted to mention. Remember who we utilized a lot last year uh, on uh, on punt block. That's Taysom Hill, the ultimate X factor. So if we can bring in that that coach and come in with some of those philosophies that have proven successful in those rankings for the Dolphins, implement that with our guys and with our skill set, uh, I'd be excited to see what, what not only Taysom uh, exclusively, but uh, what role he can play on that team to try and get through the gaps, uh, shoot those gaps and get in and, and disrupt the punter. Uh, but I am excited about that, and I do think that's that's something that's probably not been talked about very much but could prove to be just as impactful uh, as a potential player on the field.
1: Good point. Good point. So uh, and third, not, not as much detail, but Latavius Murray and Malcolm Brown, uh, I think they're stepping into some pretty big shoes. Uh, Murray obviously stepping in for Mark Ingram going to take some of the load uh, off of Kamara so we don't run him into the ground. And then Malcolm Brown, especially the first few weeks while Anyamata is suspended and we're dealing with Sheldon Rankins coming back from his Achilles. If he can uh, plug the gaps, take up some space, uh, hopefully let uh, Davenport and Jordan do their business and, and get after the quarterback and Hendrickson uh, showed some promise this year. Maybe he's a breakout candidate, um, but, but
0: very excited to see what happens there. Yeah, and just a quick just a quick note on Murray. You know, he's a big guy. He is a big back that uh, I hope plays to his strengths a little bit. Certainly carry that ball low and and put the power behind his pads. But I'm definitely looking at a short yardage red zone type offense where uh, where he can prove successful between the tackles, uh, which will then open up our play action game, make it a little more honest on the defense. And uh, and that can open up the, the peripheries for everybody. That can open up for Kamara for Thomas. Uh, But, uh, you know, I just I I want him to be hungry. And it certainly seems like he is. But, uh, you know, with Ingram, the production was there. But uh, the camaraderie with Ingram is, you know, what was so visible last year, especially him and Kamara. But him and everybody on that offense. And, you know, certainly, you know, playing collegiately as well, the closer unit those guys can be, the closer those 11 can be more often than not, the more productive they can be. So, uh, you know, Peyton's done a great job of bringing people in that are buying into the character of this team. And we obviously have the leadership there to squash anything that that wouldn't. Uh, but, uh, you know, if he comes in clear-headed, ready to just be the best contributor he can be to this team and buy into the mission that we have, uh, I'm excited to see what he can do and what he can then open up for other players on the field as well.
1: Excellent. Excellent. So excited. Can't wait. Uh, Next thing we wanted to touch on really quickly are roster cuts and kind of what happened over the last couple of weeks. Um, I think there have been a lot of articles about losing Chris Banjo, some uh, kind of the super – or special teams, rather, glue um, that's been around for several years. Uh, Peyton mentioned it was a tough cut, but we did draft two safeties this year that looked pretty good in the preseason, so we'll deal with that. I'm sure he'll be on the the short list to call should we run into any injuries. Uh, And then one of the surprises Troy and I talked about um, last week was the fact that we're only carrying two tight ends now. Um, Usually you carry at a minimum of three, uh, and did find it interesting that I read an article recently where Sean Payton said uh, that the third, I don't know if it would be an emergency tight end or truly he's going to get some reps at tight end, but that is the X Factor himself, again, Taysom Hill. So very- The Mormon missile himself. That he could stretch the field. You get him and Cook going down both seams, and it might remind us of maybe- not that I condone his behaviors, but Aaron Hernandez and Gronkowski—they formed a pretty lethal duo. Uh, probably a bad well, choice of
0: uh, adjectives there,
1: but sure, uh, sure.
0: Well, I mean, and here's here's the here's the exciting part about that. I mean, can you imagine on on the field at the same time Taysom Hill at tight end, Jared Cook opposite tight end, two tight end set, Thomas on the outside, Ginn supporting or Traquan Smith supporting on the other, Camari in the backfield you know, breeze and shotgun or under center. I mean, as a defensive coordinator, that's got to put some, some fear in you a little bit because you know, you're not going to be able to stop everyone. So how do you prioritize who you're going to take out when you've got Kamara, Thomas Cook and Taysom? Uh, and, and Jimmy, I know, you know this, but, but speculation around New Orleans is that straight line speed Taysom, they report is faster than Kamara. So, uh, I, I have been a massive proponent of getting those guys on the field at the same time as much as we can, whether it's in the backfield, whether it's out wide, uh, whatever the case may be, just to stress that defense out a little bit more and hopefully give us uh, an opportunity to, to have some success.
1: Excellent point. Um, last thing I wanted to say, and uh, Troy and I, we spoke with our, our buddy Dave, and uh, he had a good point talking about with the roster cuts, we're going to pretty much go into this year with the same receiving core. Um, I was a little disappointed with that. Um, I think Kirkwood did a couple of things. I wasn't really all that impressed with Trey Quan Smith. They, they're going to have to make a huge jump this year. I did, however, see an article recently, and I watched a video where Des Bryant is looking strong, and he is eyeing a mid-October return, and he did mention he would want to give the Saints the first crack at potentially re-signing him before he works out for any other team. So not trying to get on the Des wagon yet. But if you watch that video that's available out there, man, he looks good,
0: yeah, and I, I certainly wouldn't be opposed to that. Obviously, he's bringing experience, he's bringing size, uh, but I, I would probably be a little more interested in kind of cultivating within one of our younger guys. I mean, Traquan, at this point, you're a couple years in our system. Uh, you know, it's almost kind of prove it time for him uh, if it hadn't been the past two years. He's been in the system, he knows the terminology, he's got the uh, he's got the experience with breeze. And so I'm really expecting him to make a big jump. And if not, uh, you know, next year, come around this time, uh, who, who knows what kind of roster cuts we'll be talking about at that point. But I know Peyton uh, demands a lot from his players, demands a lot from his rookies. So if you're, you're a couple years in, you know, I really want to start seeing some gains out of him. Uh, Emmanuel Butler was, was kind of our preseason Cinderella a little bit, but I, I do believe some drops towards the end of the preseason kind of doomed his fate at least immediately. Um, Austin Carr, was one that did make it, and I'm curious to see what his development is going to be, uh, and you know what what the coaching staff saw in him that maybe they didn't see in one of those other receivers that we talked about earlier. But uh, you know, yeah, regardless, yeah. Uh, I I do have a lot of faith, obviously, in Sean Payton, his coaching staff, with evaluating. Uh, honestly, I'd probably only put the Patriots uh, up in that level in terms of scouting, both collegiately and uh, professionally. Um, you know, so he, he's got my faith. Uh, he's done it with Lance Moore. He's done it with uh, Taysom Hill. I mean, people have been cut by other teams. He sees that. His staff sees something within them that we can integrate into our system. And uh, more often than not, it's proved successful. So I'm eager to see where we go with that. But, yeah, a few surprising cuts there, uh, as there tends to be each year. But you got to put your faith in the staff to make the best uh, best team possible out of the players you've got.
1: Yeah, and I, I see the things that, uh, that Lance Moore – uh, or rather Austin Carr is is maybe the Lance Moore of this group. I think he uh, is looking at – Sean Payton's looking to have someone uh, kind of come out of the slot, run some of those quick routes. Um, and potentially even Deontay Harris uh, uh, had played a little bit of receiver in the preseason, sort of like that Tommy Lee Lewis-type role. So I think they'll make some folks in there and uh, continue to change it up. Um, switching gears now, uh, with the last 10 minutes or so that we have – we want to talk a little bit about kind of the season in general and, and kind of the three keys to the season and then get into the Houston preview. So I think first and foremost, Troy and I talked about this, and we we agreed the number one thing when you're dealing with a 40-plus-year-old quarterback, you have to keep him upright. We have to protect Breeze. He got sacked less than 20 times last year. I want to say it was either the fewest or second fewest in the league. Um, if we continue to do that, we give, our, give ourselves a chance. We all know he's not going to outscramble anyone, despite the excellent spin move he put on Atlanta last year. Um, he, he's not did, that. Did you say too. 28 uh, to
0: 3? I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh,
1: tw- yeah, yeah, 28 to 3 times. Okay. Uh, I think he, he spun there. Um, he might be as fast as me, and that's not saying much, considering uh, I think I took more than a day to run the 40. So, uh, in any case, uh, protect Breeze. I think number two, get off the field on third down. Um, our run defense really stepped up late last year, um, but we could not get off the field on third down. I think things got a little better when Apple came over um, via the trade and uh, did some some good things for us. But we always found a way to give up those those third downs, and so well, uh, and, and
0: that's right. And just some stats to back that up, Jimmy. Based on last year, uh, getting off the field on third down defensively, we were 24th in the league. Uh, however, if they made it to fourth down, our fourth down defense was ninth. Uh, so we, we proved more successful on that fourth down, uh, on that fourth down play. But uh, I don't want it to get to that point. Uh, I, I'd rather see that third down number jump dramatically from 24th in the league, where we can get that team off, get our offense back on the field. If we're controlling the game, if we're ahead, we can slow it down. Uh, we can kind of get out of some of those shootouts that we got in last year. And then obviously, if we need the ball, then we need to gain those extra possessions so that we can do what we need to do to get back in the game. Um, so that, that's that's a big thing for me as well. Let's get off that field on third down, not let that offense get into any kind of rhythm uh, and, and make it even more challenging than it already is to come into our place in the dome and try and take a victory. And then if we're on the away side of it, uh, you know, then we're going to go there and we're going to dictate our game no matter where we play. So uh, I'm, in, I'm in agreement with you there that uh, getting off the field on third down defensively Will be a big key for our success moving forward, both on the defensive side of the ball and the offensive side of the ball.
1: And one thing that could help that is a, is, is a better pass rush. You know what you're going to get from Cam Jordan, Mr. Consistency.
0: Uh, he's going to bring
1: it each and every Sunday. Davenport was was heading that way before the turf or uh, the toe injuries, rather. Uh, but but that'll help if if we're getting to the quarterback. That you're going to make some errant throws, throw a pick here and there. That'll help us get off the field. Uh and then third, we talked, we kind of touched on it already. We need we need a second wide receiver to really step up. Ken has made some big plays, but he's not getting a ton of looks. Uh we need either Smith or Carr or uh uh not Traquan yet. Yeah, um who is it? Help me Troy. Who are we thinking of? Not Traequan Smith, but the other receiver. Oh, Kirkwood. We need Kirkwood, Kirkwood. to step up yeah. too. Um, so well, one of them needs to, to, to step up. There was a point last year where it felt like 90% of the throws were going um, to Thomas and, and you just can't do that. Even though he did catch 87% or so of his targets, which was an NFL record, which was amazing. Um, but we, we got to distribute the ball. So, well, that's those three things.
0: I think we'll be in good shape. That's right. That's right. And it's just, it's, it's a, it's a you know, it's a volume share. Looking at last year's targets, now, not necessarily receptions, but how many times Breeze targeted the following receivers? Number one, no-brainer, Michael Thomas, 147 targets. Second on the team, Alvin Kamara with 105 targets. Keep in mind, here's our, he's our running back. Obviously, he's dual threat. Uh, but then third, Ben Watson with 46 targets. So after Michael Thomas, we don't even have a receiver in the top three of targets from Breeze. You know, that's, that's an issue there. Michael Thomas, nobody's denying his talent or, or his ability to convert third downs and move the chains. But uh, this is the NFL. Any given Sunday, defensive coordinators around the league are game planning to take Michael Thomas out. And if they are successful at that, what is our, what is our return? What's our answer to that? Uh, and, and there were certain games last year where we struggled with that. So we need somebody to step up. Now, I do believe Jared Cook is going to be a big impact player there. He's gonna take his fair share of the volume of targets. Uh, And as we mentioned, hopefully Traquan, Kirkwood, Smith, Ginn, uh, somebody can come up and be a dependable, consistent player to help draw away some of that attention from Thomas. And you know Breeze is is monstrous to spread it out, and he doesn't care who you are. As long as you know your assignment, you know where you're at on the field, he's going to get the ball to you. Uh, But but we need some help there. And that's going to help Thomas be an even more impactful player if we can bring some of those uh, shares to other people.
1: Amazing stats there, especially – the third most targets going to Ben Watson. Last year, Ben Watson, 175 years old when he's playing tight end for us. So, you know, we got to get somebody else to step it up. Uh, next, we're going to talk about the Houston game. We only have a few minutes left here with you guys. But um, you think of Houston, at least in my mind, you think of one person, J.J. Watt. Uh, incredible defensive tackle slash end. He lines up anywhere along the defensive line. You better account for him. You better chip. You better help because one-on-one, there's not many folks that are going to be able to handle him. I think Armstead could from time to time, uh, and maybe Ramchak as well. But you have to account for him.
0: No doubt. No doubt. I mean, he, he's a, he's a single-man wrecking crew. Uh, when NFL did their mic'd up a couple years back, uh, Zach Streef was our right tackle. And I remember Watt, you know, no, no disrespect to Zach Streif, but Watt won that matchup more than he lost it. And I remember him saying, you know, hey, I like Drew. I don't like Zach and Drew, but y'all need to get some help over here on the right side. Uh, and and that's, that's a testament to how disruptive he is. And just as we mentioned how defensive coordinators have to game plan against Kamara and, and Hill and Thomas, uh, well, we have to game plan offensively to negate the impact of J.J. Watt. Uh, he can disrupt our run game. He can disrupt our pass game, bottom line. So uh, we definitely need to account for that, have a game plan for that, as you mentioned, whether it's keeping a back in to help double up, doubling up on the line, uh, chipping on a release for a receiver or a tight end, uh, but we certainly need to account for that and be proactive uh, in making sure that he's not the reason that we're not successful.
1: And then the second, on the
0: other side of the ball, uh,
1: similarly we got to contain DeAndre Hopkins, by far one of the best wide receivers in the league, incredible hands, um, very elusive, speedy. Um, we just have to make sure, I assume, Lattimore will have him most of the game we got to get Marcus Williams, Avon Bell, uh, safety on top, hopefully, in most coverage. And uh, just kind of, you know, he's going to get a few catches. He'll get his, but don't let him just have a monster, monster game.
0: Well, and on the other side of that, we can't focus too much on Deshaun Watson's ability to throw that ball and forget that he is a very capable runner as well. Uh, you know, Houston in the previous couple of years uh, haven't had a whole lot of success at quarterback, kind of had a quarterback carousel going on these last two years. Uh, going a little bit further back, you had Matt Schaub, uh, serviceable, uh, but certainly not uh, not as exciting as Deshaun Watson. I do believe he's the real deal, had the injury last year, but he's coming back. He's hungry. Uh, Houston is a very, very talented team that I believe is gonna compete in that AFC South all the way to the end. Uh, and it is so important for us to start this season on the right step. Even though last year we lost the first game, we went on to win 10. Uh, I don't wanna have to bank on that happening again. I wanna come out strong Monday night have a great game plan. Uh, It's in the dome. So the energy is going to be there. The excitement is going to be there. I think the players are hungry to get last year behind them. Uh, Two consecutive seasons of just devastating heartbreak in the playoffs. Uh, But don't forget that Deshaun has the ability to beat you with his legs as well. Got to maintain containment and uh, just play smart. You know, play smart, aggressive football on both ends. And if we do that for 60 minutes, uh, I feel confident in where we'll uh, end up at the end of that game. Yeah, there's nothing nothing more demoralizing than you know doing a great job on first
1: down defense, second down have third and eight, you have great coverage, you're bracketing all your receivers and a quarterback scrambles for a 9-yard gain and gets the third and eight uh, and converts. That that is so demoralizing. So, to Troy's point, let's contain him. Otherwise, it's in the dome. You got to feed off the energy. You have Kamar back, you have Thomas back. Folks are ready to go. I think they're ready to put it the season uh, last season behind them like Troy said. And uh, I think it's Super Bowl a bust. We don't know how many years Brees has left. Um, Taysom Taysom showed some good things, and maybe he is the the quarterback of the future, but the future is now. Let's get it done this year. So uh, I think uh, that's enough to
0: to prep you and get you ready for it. That's right. Saints fans cherish every moment. Cherish every moment, and that all begins in six days. So listen, hey, that's a wrap on the inaugural episode of the Globe Bros Saints Show. Six days until the season opener Monday night in the Dome. Prime time against the Texans.
1: So, Huda fans, until next time, GloBros out. Huda!